insurmountable circumstances I have faced, um, one of the problems is, is I have no sense of control in terms of what is going on. I feel like a bobber that got loose from the fishing line and it's floating down the river. And uh, it's going with the current. Pretty soon it finds itself under a log or in whirlpools or it's bobbing up and down in rapids and going over waterfalls. In those circumstances, what I usually do is I grit my teeth, I apply myself, I give the situation, the circumstance, extra attention in my very best effort. And you know what? It usually proves out the circumstance was insurmountable. I didn't bring about as much change as I wanted. If any, it continues to be the same. Let me list some of my circumstances from the past that have been insurmountable. Uh, I have taken classes I could not pass. I have had bills that I could not pay. I have had relationships that I could not reconcile. And there's been people, heart, people's hearts, including mine, that would not change. But the hardest one that I can remember occurred well over 30 years ago. It was our oldest son with a chronic illness that no one seemed to be able to diagnose and therefore could not cure. For several years, our oldest uh, child had four bad days of indigestion, and he could not hold his food down. And then <clears throat> that was followed by about two days when everything was fine, going back to the four bad days. And we lived this way for several years, going to five doctors and specialists in three different cities to try and find out what was wrong. And there was no answers, there was no diagnosis, therefore there was no cure. Lo and behold, when we were helpless, there was this local Korean doctor that nobody could understand what he was saying. Uh, in fact, whenever he said, this is the problem, and I can't repeat his, you know, I, I can't sound like him, but everyone in our family would say, what did you just say? We couldn't get it. The classic time was when he was talking to our daughter and he wanted her to look away and there was these Dis Disney characters on the, you know, on the wallpaper like, and he said, look at Goopy, look at Goopy. Our daughter looks at us, Goopy. I look at Barb, Goopy. Oh, Goofy, Goofy, okay. We would always ask, what did you say? But then he said, I, you know, he pointed to a defect that was unheard of in children. But it turned out he was right, and all the others were stumped. Some things have been insurmountable over a long season of time. But also, I have to understand, I have limitations. As humans, we try to control our circumstances, our environment, everything about our lives. We have to understand that's humanity. What got us to the top here is that we, we seek control. And yet, with all the therapy, with all the science, with all the resources of military and governments and technology, we also realize we can't solve every problem. That's not humanity, that's reality. So in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we focus on Jesus of Nazareth, who Mark claims to be the Son of God. And chapter by chapter, we fill our folder on just what exactly 
exactly does it mean for this Jesus of Nazareth to be God's only son? We also want to know, okay, if that's what his identity is, what does it mean for us to follow him? What is it like to walk after him? And what are the barriers that seem to hinder that journey of following Jesus? Now, if you have missed the last two messages, I encourage you to catch up online because we are dissecting the five great miracles of Jesus, and this is the third. And it forces us to conclude, if you look at all five of these, they are written for a purpose to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God. He is all-powerful. We say that's omnipotent. He is uh, all-knowing. We say that's omniscient. He's all-compassionate, and we don't have a word for that. He cares for your needs. And so today we look at him dealing with some very desperate people. We have in this next passage a miracle that's followed by a miracle, in other words, two healings, but then one of those sort of morphs into something even greater than a healing due to insurmountable circumstances. I'm in Mark chapter 5, and I begin at verse 21. It says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, the Jewish side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Do you get the seed? Do you get what's going on here? The synagogue ruler, it, it, it would be like uh, the, uh, the head elder and the head trustee wrapped into one person. It's like the CEO of a congregation. He's a layman, not a rabbi, which many of you say, now that's a good thing. But as a layman, he carries even greater honor in the community than the rabbi because he's good for nothing. You don't pay him. He embodies, usually the synagogue ruler, he embodies what I call the three R's. He is rich, he's respected, and he's righteous. And as I talk to one of the rabbis, oh, at least two of those, okay? That's what the local rabbi told me. He has all the connections. He is familiar with all the local resources. He knows who to call for every problem and every solution. But this is one he has no resources for. His daughter is sick. She's going downhill rapidly. Uh, let's put it honestly, she's dying. And his conventional wisdom says, as he knows that Jesus is coming back to town and he's done miraculous things in this city before, his conventional wisdom is avoid this troublemaker. He's always upsetting the apple cart of us Jews. But that's his conventional wisdom. On the other side is his desperate need. His desperate need tells him that Jesus may be his only and last hope. So throwing aside acceptable behavior, uh, he knows that Jesus has just landed on the, disciple, uh, on the shores of the uh, Sea of Galilee with his disciples. He lays aside his respectability and throws himself, it says, at Jesus' knees. And he pleads with him, please come, put your hands on her so she can be healed and live. If he had any sense of respectability, he just lost it. He just threw it away. 
And don't all of us have some things or some people so, so dear to us like this young daughter that we will do whatever it takes to make it right? It was this daughter for Jairus. So Jesus, who we know loves the destitute, also loves the well-off. And he goes with this man, and my guess is the father probably takes Jesus' hand and sort of plows through the crowd, pulling him along. He wants to get home as quickly as possible. He is a man on a mission to save his daughter, and he must bring Jesus to her. Well, while they're on their way out, there's another person, a woman, who comes from an opposite background, but also seeking out Jesus for her insurmountable circumstance. I read from verse 25 and go on. Verse 25 begins this way. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She's also approaching death. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind, uh, behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of me. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? It's an amazing moment. Jesus is out to do one miracle on the way to do a miracle. He does another. It is one of those, uh, uh, it is one of those uh, events that you say, boy, who does this but the Son of God? She has been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus' daughter has been living for 12 years. This woman has seen every doctor, tried every medicine, been in every trial study, has probably even snuck over the border to the land of the Gentiles to try some unapproved, unsubstantiated cures that were sw sworn to be effective by the greatest witch doctors around. She's desperate, and she is dying with no other alternatives. Compare these two. If Jairus sent you an invitation to dinner, you'd be honored to attend. If you were found spending time with this woman who was bleeding, you'd be excommunicated from your synagogue, excommunicated from your synagogue. The best way I can explain it is, um, um, well, she's alone, she's broke, but the main thing is she's unclean unclean for anybody to spend time with. And I ask this, how cautious would you be if an HIV positive patient wanted to share a bowl of ice cream with you with one spoon? How, you know, what would you do? You would be cautious. Well, it says that when she heard about this, she came up behind him uh, and within the crowd probably reached through some people. Uh, some people say she touched the very bottom of his garment because she thought if I just uh, touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That's called being superstitious. She views Jesus as so powerful that even contact with his clothing can heal her. 
Did you know that in our secular world, some of the, the, some of the greatest skeptics, some of the greatest atheists, some of the most renowned scientists are superstitious? We believe that circumstances can be altered if we use a specific incantation, if we repeat a certain ceremony, if we carry around a lucky charm. I even know a pastor who thinks that he can change the outcome of a Bronco game that is looking bad at the moment if he leaves the room, puts on a new lucky Bronco hat and Bronco t-shirt, waits three minutes, and then returns. <laughs> Did I get that right, Barb? In fact, Barb once teased me. I think she said something like that because I went through that ritual. And she said, oh, while you were out, John Elway called and said, thank you. <laughs> you see, it's, it's as if, if I do something really stupid and silly, I honestly believe it can change the outcome of events. This was one of those insurmountable circumstances until Jesus arrives. She touches his clothes. She is healed. Jesus feels the healing power go out of him. And then he stops to find out who this person is, whose circumstances he has just surmounted. Now the disciples are confused. There's so many people around. How can we know? How can anyone know who's done it? But he says, I feel healing power. Leave my body. So the woman comes forward sheepishly and shares that she is the one and that the bleeding has stopped. It stopped when she touched him. And Jesus gives these words to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. We're not going to build a theology of healing on this, but we're going to do a few cautionary things. If you understand the context, Jesus is giving a rebuke to this lady, a loving one, a kind one, a wonderful one. It's, it's, it's sort of saying, uh, you think it's because you touch me or touch my cloak, and it's because of your reaching out and my clothing together work this magic in your body. When he says, it's your faith that healed you, he's saying, I healed you, and we just worked together on this. I healed you, and we just worked together on this. It was not my clothing. It was not your touch. It was me, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God who has healed you. We're going to stop there because this, as you know, this can go on and on and on. But it's a rebuke to her. A nice one. Your faith has healed you. It's not a formula. It's a rebuke. So because of her trust in him, Jesus proves what he can do. And he overcomes this insurmountable circumstance. So while transforming this woman's insurmountable circumstances, Jairus' circumstances go from insurmountable to, you might say, rigidly final. Men from the synagogue come to tell their leader that, their, uh, that his daughter has gone from dying to now being dead. And they say, tell the rabbi not to bother. Because why? Dead is final. Dead is dead. Nothing happens after you're dead. When you hear that news, though, as a dad who is so concerned about your daughter, it's like a slow freight train hitting you. It is going imperceptibly slow, the news. It is, uh, 
It is a freight train, meaning it is strong and it's powerful and it's unstoppable. And the news is devastatingly final. Jairus, who has waited for Jesus to return to the mission of his daughter, this is how it actually happened. It says that the woman who was healed at that moment not only told Jesus that she her bleeding had stopped and she felt it inside of her and Jesus felt it leave him, but what she also says is, uh, well, I've been bleeding for 12 years, and in year one, I went to see this doctor, this doctor, this doctor, and in year two, then I stopped going to see those doctors, and I tried this method, and then in year three, I went overseas, and, and, and I had an Italian doctor. He was no good, and she probably mentioned, my, have you ever been around people that give TMI too much information? Well, I guess Jesus said that's okay, but Jairus is going... And if it was only three minutes, it felt like three days. Then he gets the news and he's crestfallen. His daughter has died. No reason to return to the mission because now there is no hope. You know, if you only live in the physical world, when you hear the word death, it's a term of finality. You don't ask after you hear the word dead, well, what else can we do? You just let it sink in. There's no suggestions as to what do you do next. But Jesus says we're going to apply some divine power. Did you, I, I just want you to see how these two work together. Um, when Jesus realizes that divine power is gone from him, he goes, who touched my clothes? And this woman, when he deals with her, he's clarifying how this woman was healed. And he wants to honor her faith. So uh, she leaves with the certainty that it wasn't just a temporary cure, but that she is completely healed, healed forever, and, and, and that will never come back. So she leaves saying, okay, it was Jesus who healed me, not his clothes and not my touch. But to Jairus, he wants to give other words. He wants to give words of assurance, and you find it in verse 36 here. Ignoring what they said, the men from the synagogue, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I think he only had to say it once. But he's trying to give them an assurance that yes, we have what you call wasted a little time. It is not too late. So... Taking only Jairus and Peter and James and John with them, they enter Jairus' home and already there setting up shop or what we call professional grieving team, okay? Uh, they're usually assigned from synagogue to synagogue. Each, each good and healthy synagogue has its own grieving team. Now, at certain occasions, you have to understand that among the Jews, there's several parties and there's a, a band for each one of them, some sort of celebration. It may be the same people just putting on different hats. Among the, the parties that they have, there's a birth party that the Jews have. None of the ones who are honored remember it, okay, because they were just born. There's a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah party on becoming a, a son or daughter of the covenant. There are weddings in which you know, they, they will last four or five days, and there are funerals. And it may be the very same people who are singers and musicians come to each one and just have a different playlist. 
These are professional mourners. They're like a wedding band, except they come to wail and to quote the songs of lament. Uh, they wore, wear mourning clothes like we wore black to a funeral, and they put ashes on their head. And um, it is to the credit of Jairus' synagogue that they were there before Jairus got home and doing their job. But Jesus arrives and he says, there is a different outcome that's about to occur. I'm going to change things dramatically. Uh, as he arrives, he, he says this, the dead girl is only asleep. That means, friends, that she's truly dead, but she is not finally dead. Get the difference? I know it's splitting hairs, but she's truly dead, just not finally dead. And Jesus, as he comes, is going to change things. Well, when the grieving team hears this, they suddenly go from grieving, oh, Lord, please protect this hope. You idiot, you can't say that. Oh, how sincere could they be? That is religious hypocrisy at its fullest. And they sarcastically laugh at Jesus. So Jesus takes mom. Jesus takes dad, Jairus. Jesus takes three disciples and they, they go into the room and push everybody out. They're in there with a deceased daughter and together they experience Jesus demolishing another insurmountable circumstance. With the bleeding woman, her healing is instantaneous and permanent. She'd never bleed in this manner again. Jesus heals her completely. He is compassionately powerful. With this daughter, it says in verse 41 and 42, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Two words. Translated, it's a few more words. Little girl, I say to you, get up. I guess we might say, if we were from the South, honey, get up. Make it as short as we possibly could. Honey, stand up. And she does. She stands. She walks around. I imagine she smiles as she closes the jaws of the astonished parents and disciples because they've never seen anything like that. And then it says in verse 43, Jesus gave strict orders. Don't tell anyone about this. Yeah, like that's going to happen. And, and he told them uh, to give her something to eat. Uh, because, you know, the, the professional grieving team is also a professional gossip team. When they see the girl alive, you think they're going to be quiet too? And then he has this little bit of humor. Could you give her something to eat? She's dying of starvation. <laughs> it's another insurmountable circumstance overcome with the power of two words and a grabbing of her hand. This Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Some months later, this same Jesus and his disciples would attend another funeral. It would be a funeral of a young man whose name was Lazarus and a family that Jesus and his disciples were very close to. He had, they had accepted their hospitality many times because they lived just a little bit outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus will visit the tomb of this young friend who has died four days earlier and his two sisters would blame him. You find it in John chapter 11 because he did not come sooner to heal their brother. 
And to one of the sisters, he declares this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. And whoever lives and believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he looks that woman in the eye and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus walks to the tomb. And as he walks to the tomb of Lazarus, we know that he weeps. But there's another word in there that you see very rarely Jesus expressing. Your, your translation might say he got a little upset. He was troubled inside of his spirit. Jesus was just ticked. He was angry. He was angry at the situation. I want to say this. We always tell you that Jesus loves you. And we believe that thoroughly. But can I tell you this morning two things that Jesus hates? Jesus, first of all, hates sin. Loves the sinner. But he hates sin. And the Father, his Father in heaven, hates sin so much that he sacrificed his only son on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could appear before God as sinless. How does God take care of his hate for sin? He sacrifices his own son. Can I share the second thing? And there's probably more, but the second thing that it looks like Jesus hates? Jesus hates death. You were not created to die. You were created, God's original intent, that you would walk with him for eternity. That you would experience this eternal life through the fellowship that you have with God the Father Almighty, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus hates death. And I think that's one reason, at least, why he was so angry at that situation. Because everybody else had given up. And this was not the way the world was supposed to be. And by Jesus being here, he would make things right. He would turn physical death into spiritual life and eternal life. And though this girl back here dies for a period of hours. And and Lazarus dies for a period of uh, four days. Both of them are raised by the power of God. Both of them will die again as they approach old age or other circumstances. Jesus dies for three days and he's raised never to die again. So this 12-year-old girl, breathing, walking, and eating. As you read this great miracle of Jesus, understand it's a foreshadowing of what our eternity will be when we place our trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus demolishes death and restores our original intent to be walking with God forever. Do I hear an amen? Let's pray. Father, your Son... Your son explains our lives and answers all of our questions. Your son came to earth to set our direction. Your son came to this earth to destroy the barrier of sin between us and you. And your son 
comes to restore your eternal image in us as no one else can do. Our separation from you is an insurmountable circumstance without your son. Thank you for sending him. And God's people said, amen. We come now to celebrate what the Son of God did on the cross. We understand his great miracle in healing a girl who had died and a woman who was bleeding. But this tops it all, the insurmountable circumstances of how do we find acceptance with God. You find it through his son who sacrificed his life for yours. Scripture says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. After that, after the bread, and then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it, and as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Here at Bergen Park Church, we invite you, whether you're members or not, if you just say, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, then we invite you to come. We invite you to come forward, to take the bread, to take the cup. Would those who are serving please come forward now? <clears throat> 